0: Welcome everyone to our latest edition of Bam's Radio as we review the Alabama Crimson Tide's 48 to 14 win over the Mercer Bears. Not one of the better performances probably for a Nick Saban football team, uh, and I know it's kind of interesting to say that uh, when you uh, uh, are talking about a 48 to 14 win, but it was really kind of a lackluster performance. Uh, but it's to be expected if you follow Nick Saban's football team. And, you know, uh, luckily for our audience here at uh, for BAM's radio, we've we've got a uh, former player, William Redfish Barger, who's going to join us tonight, uh, who from, you know, 89 to 93 was a big part of the University of Alabama and, of course, uh, was a national champion. And he's followed Nick Saban's entire tenure in Tuscaloosa, same with our producer extraordinaire, Thomas Watts, the wizard from Mobile. He has followed uh, Nick Saban's entire career and myself as well. If you followed Nick Saban, his Alabama teams, especially since 2008, have had so many, you know, in most seasons, high profile season openers that inevitably week two is a little bit of a letdown. And that's what happened yesterday. Alabama didn't have a great week of practice. Nick Saban was on edge. And Alabama started slow yesterday offensively. Now, defensively, except for the two miscommunications in the secondary, I thought it was a suffocating effort. And, of course, the second one coming with a lot of backups in the game. But offensively, the right tackle spot was, a, was an issue yesterday. There were some drop passes. The run blocking wasn't great. And so the University of Alabama only scores 48. I mean, they do. And Will Riker even missed a field goal, uh, which is a rarity. But they still went impressively. Now have to refocus to start SEC play. As they will be at the Florida Gators, who are two and zero, ranked number eleven in the country. So, going to be an interesting week, no doubt. And of course, the only negative from yesterday, besides, uh, and, and what I mean by that negative is, is injury situation, was a minor injury to Will Anderson. And to kick off the program tonight, I have some news in that area. Looks like Will Anderson uh, is it, it was minor. It was a hyperextension. Right now the prognosis is a is a good one that I think he will play on Saturday not a guarantee yet but if things continue to progress as I've heard by Wednesday I think he'll be back in the lineup uh, for the University of Alabama which is uh, you know a great thing because he is a guy I know they have a lot of depth at outside linebacker but you can't replace somebody of the talent of Will Anderson Uh, and I'll go on my rant later about cut blocking Uh, but in uh, what happened to Will, which is unfortunate. Uh, But again, just glad he's going to be okay. going to be back in that lineup. And now I'm going to bring in my cohorts. First, William Redfish Barger. William, uh, happy Sunday to you. Uh, A performance that we've seen that's been kind of predictable out of Alabama
1: in game two. Yep. And I know he isn't living in the state of Louisiana, but – He's close enough for me to blame him this for. I blame the whole performance that you saw yesterday versus Mercer on one Thomas the Wizard Watts (laughs) for bringing up up the dark shadows of the 2012 Western Kentucky game last Sunday.
2: Okay, all I'm going to say is if I have that kind of power to bring decades forward, I'm going to rule the damn world. So buckle up. <laughs> well, Liam, I'm going to piggyback um,
0: off of your thought there real quick. I, just because you're you're bringing up that, that 12 game. We remember how Fluker struggled at right tackle in that game. But he got progressively better as the year went on. Do you see that happening with Chris Owens, or are we going to see somebody no. like Damian George, who we saw yesterday, or JC Latham eventually
1: take that position over? Yeah, no. I mean, uh, you know, Fluker having that hiccup game um, in 2012, and then, and, you know, then he goes on to be a first round draft pick and has had a, you know, a pretty, pretty, you know, maybe not as good of a pro career as we all thought he was going to have, but hell, he's still. Uh, you know, making money and got that, you know, uh, signing bonus check from his first contract in the bank. Hopefully he's managed it well, but no, I I don't see that same career track for Chris Owens. Not that, you know, I don't think Chris Owens um, doesn't have a chance to make an NFL roster, but he's certainly not going to be a first round draft pick. And I would also caution people from, you know, writing Chris Owens off, I mean, I, I saw him play a pretty high level of football in December and January of last year, you know, at the center position. Yeah. And, uh, you know, m- maybe this is, you know, Doug Marone's onus that, you know, he, he's he got to put people at the right position to be successful. You know, that that's, you know, we were talking about this, you know, off the air before we started recording. Um, about one Kerry Combs, uh, you know, the defensive coordinator at Ohio State, and asking those, you know, two two linebackers for Ohio State last year to drop into coverage and try and slow the Heisman Trophy winner down, Devonta Smith, I, I can take it back to an SEC flavor, uh, you know, 20-something years ago when good old bucket step Bob Connolly was the offensive line coach at Alabama, and, you know, asked a guy, you know, like Chris Caps, you know, to slide out and play offensive tackle. You know, he he wasn't capable of playing offensive tackle. And I know the kid. I'm not banging on the kid at all because, uh, you know, in his own right, he was able to make it to the last cut um, for the Houston Texans after his senior year at Alabama as an offensive guard, which is where he should have stayed and been, you know, the whole time. So, you know, when you start talking about player criticism, um, you know, especially, you know, along the offensive line position, I think you need to factor in, you know, what is that specific position coach asking this person to do? And are they capable of doing it? And, uh, you know, that, that's my number one criteria when I start, you know, looking at a coach and, and giving him a, you know, a plus or a minus what he does on a week-to-week basis that, that's the number one, you know, priority of, of a coach is, you know, how does he put his players at the right position to be successful? And I know there's, you know, a lot of Alabama fans. I've, I've you know, driving back from the Gulf of Mexico today, I've gotten several phone calls with, you know, people that are, you know, pissed off at, uh you know, Pete Golding and Charles Kelly and uh, Nick Saban about, you know, continuing to trot, you know, Daniel Wright out there, you know, to, to play. Um, you know, at some point in time, I think, you know, that specific coach, um, depending on the injury situation in front of a player like that, you know, has to ask themselves, hey, can I really, you know, stake my career on this guy out there and put him out there and, you know, him being successful? Um, you know, I think, Drew, there was a lot of things that went, wrong for Alabama yesterday. I mean, the the offensive line um, didn't execute properly. Um, I think that affected Bryce Young's ability to execute properly. I think it affected Bill O'Brien's ability to call the offense, um, you know, in a a successful manner. Um, You know, I, I think once you saw the game get a little bit out of hand and, you know, Paul Tyson comes in and uh, you know, starts, starts you know, not doing a good job of executing. I just think that's one of those games. And I, and I think in, in you know, 2021, it's even more difficult to cycle players in and out and expect them to maintain a high level intensity and execution you know, versus an opponent like Mercer. Um, we'll see this Saturday. I mean, this is, you know, the SEC opener for this Alabama football team. It's on the road in Gainesville, which is a tough place to play. Um, Is this the best Florida team I've ever seen? No, it's not. Uh, But it's a different atmosphere. It's a different level of intensity. This is why these kids come to uh, the University of Alabama to play these kind of games. And they're going to be in my favorite uniform combination, uh, the road whites, you know, with the red helmets. So I'm expecting a better performance.
0: Well, and let me preface this by saying, uh, and I wasn't, you know, referring to, you know, Owens going on to a first-round pick career. I was just asking if the rest of this season, do you see him being a starter or do you see two younger offensive tackles that may be bigger, more physical, and more talented, you know, uh, uh, taking the spot. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me because it could be that Owens. We saw him in, in, a, in a one-time deal against Arkansas, play well at right tackle. We saw him, as you said, play well those two games at center in the playoff. He may be a guy that's a good swing guy that can give you some stopgap good play for a game or two, but you might worry about him for an, as, star- as a starter for an entire you know seventeen-game uh, you know stretch if they expand the playoff, this situation would be a 15-gamer, which would be 12 games and then an SEC championship game and then two games in the playoff. I, I'm, I'm just speculating if he's a, a guy that can, can hold up for that many games in a row because I will say this, William, and it piggybacks all of the comments you just made. And it's one game, but when you see Paul Tyson yesterday against – that level of opponent, and then Jalen Milrow, who you can see his talent, but you also see that he's very raw as a passer. It goes back to my point before the season that you have to keep Bryce Young healthy for this team to reach its goals.
1: No, absolutely, and I don't want you to think I was danging you about Oh, the, no, not at all. the Chris O. I was
0: just clarifying that. That's all I was doing. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I mean, I, I think... You know Doug Marone and and Nick Saban. You know, yeah. Can can can, can Chris Owens play right tackle uh, versus Miami and Mercer? And, and I'll say this, um, you know, he, he was pretty successful versus Miami, and I think Miami's edge rushers are more comparable to what they're going to see Saturday versus Florida. Um, you know, based on, what a, you know, a small sample size of what I've seen, um, you know, Florida's got good edge rushers. I mean, the rest of their defense is probably not all that jam up. But, um, you know, I, I would, I, you know, Drew, if you asked, if you, if you stuck a gun to my head and said, you know, hey, does who does Chris Owens remind you of? I all would right. spit out Alfred McCullough. That's a good, that's a good comparison. Uh, You know, utility player, swing player, Um, you know, I could spit two more back out to you and Jonah Williams and Jedrick Wills that can do all five spots at an elite level. But, you know, Chris Owens ain't Jonah Williams and Jedrick Wills. But I'll be interested to see what that lineup is Saturday versus Florida because, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that Chris Owens can't do it. But, you know, I saw a lot of lazy on Saturday versus Mercer. I mean, Mercer, excuse me, not not the damn staff infection. Mercer. (laughs) Um, But I I saw a lot of lazy, on on, you know, at several different positions. And, you know, when you you get out there on the edge and, you know, I, I got, you know, donkey punched myself for running my mouth at our offensive tackles and, they stuck me out there, and I was like, "Wait a second, there's a big difference in pass pro and uh, you know a guy that can run a four five forty screaming off the edge at you at left tackle or right tackle versus those getting slid down inside into a phone booth. Um, you know I, I I don't think Alabama fans should panic the way that I've seen them panic over the mercer perform Mercer performance, you know yesterday. Um, you know, it, it's hard to get a team up, especially a, a young team like this, you know, in the, the world of social media and, you know, hey, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, I think what you saw yesterday kind of should have been expected. Um, you know, if you want to start focusing on positions, you know, the, the one that there's, there's two that kind of sticks out to me. Um, And I think you saw it come to fruition yesterday. Um, I think the Slade-Bolden area at wide receiver and punt returner should be put to bed. Um, You know, look, this is not me going on a rampage and and dogging Slade-Bolden. Right. But you, you can see... And a limited sample that JoJo Earl is better at punt returning as a true freshman. And when you throw JoJo Earl the ball in space, he can pick up more yardage than Slade Bolden can. That's mm-hmm. not a slam on Slade Bolden. It's just how good JoJo Earl is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one thing that really jumped out to me yesterday was – and. I'm not I'm not in a position, I'm never gonna put myself in a position of being critical of Nick Saban. But if he wants to reward Brian Robinson being the starting running back at Alabama, okay, give him four or eight carries a game as the starter, but you gotta start filtering in Jace McClellan and Trey Sanders as the other two running backs and give them more reps because they are better players than Brian Robinson is.
0: That's very
1: interesting, and I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. I,
0: I really like Jace McClellan's uh, versatility and his ability to catch, run, and block, and I think he's a more explosive player than Brian Robinson, who, who has been solid so far, but I, I see what you're saying. And Trey Sanders looks like the best of them all. Uh, you know, if he protects the ball and uh, continues to progress from his injury, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, and Thomas, I wanted to bring your, you into the conversation. What things stood out to you most about the performance yesterday?
2: Okay, so let's go down the rabbit hole with how Thomas's brain works. And I watched the game as many Alabama fans did yesterday, and I admit a certain level of frustration. Watching Alabama not it felt like the, the, the level of caring was very low for whatever reason, and I, I really started to think about it, and my my general conclusions there there were there were several, but the one that gave me a certain level of peace is the notion that my God, Alabama fans are spoiled because there was no game like this game last year there really wasn't much of a game like this game with Tua Tonga Vailoa as quarterback and more than anything that speaks to their individual excellence as football players than it does a lacking on this Alabama football team this team's good is it great right now it isn't I think it can get there 100% I think it can get there But there's stuff that needs to get worked on. And this is, to me, falls in the range of a more typical Alabama football team. They have all world potential. They can be absolutely wonderful. But they've got to get there. This team, to me, strikes me as another one of Nick Saban's teams that if you're going to get them, you need to get them before November. Because if Alabama makes it undefeated into November – They're going to be a problem for everybody that sees them. And does that mean they're going to win the national championship? No, I'm not willing to go that far yet. I think there's some other good teams out there. And this season is pretty chaotic just as an institution because of super seniors and young players never being used to fans or, or, you know, pick your reason. I don't really care. But overall to me – I can't lose my mind too much because the pieces are still there. This is still a good football team. And it's not like Alabama is sitting here and they have no answers. It's the same thing I said when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, right after the scrimmages, this Alabama team still has answers on the roster. They just kind of have to put the pieces in the right order to get it to work at its top level. Now, having said that, that's really my offensive thought, Drew. I was very pleased with the defense because defending a wing T, and I'm with you, like we're going to be stepping on each other to try and rant about cut blocks, but we'll leave that to later in the show. So put that to the side. The, the way you defend a wing T spread thing that Mercer did is you have to maintain proper leverage, you have to maintain proper technique, you have to maintain... Uh, gap soundness, and then when you have the chance to attack, you have to get home. And barring those two weird plays where the secondary still needs work, and in some ways that's not surprising, given that you had some secondary pieces get moved around just by their very nature because folks were coming in. I thought, frankly, the guy that showed out the most on defense wasn't Will Anderson. and I thought Kool-Aid McKenstry I mean, if you're not excited about him, do you have a pulse and you're an Alabama fan? But, you know, that kind of thing is going to happen on occasion. But for an Alabama team that defensively has had struggles doing the little things right consistently under Pete Golding, they did almost everything right consistently yesterday. And yeah, they were more talented and blah, blah, blah. I'm there with that. But it doesn't matter if you can't execute the scheme and the Alabama defense did that so to me at the end of the day Drew it's another you know Nick Saban's glad to have a win he's pissed that his team was kind of farting about and breathed fire and talked about a reckoning in his post-game press conference which was pretty hilarious and we're on to Florida if we're again if we're having this same conversation next week though yeah we can be concerned but when I get asked to break down Florida, I'll, let, I'll kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit. This Florida team is painfully overrated, as it stands. But go ahead, Drew.
0: And I'll go back to you, William. Uh, I said in my opening comments that I thought uh, this the uh, first-team defense played exceptionally well, except for one down, uh, where you know, there was a miscommunication with Jordan Battle and one of the other safeties. In there, probably DeMarco Hellams, as to, you know, which uh, he thought he had some help, which he didn't have. And that led to a 61 yard touchdown pass. The other, you know, is a lot of backups in, and Daniel Wright is known for mental errors. That's basically his career in a nutshell. So him screwing something up is a surprise to nobody. Uh, but I thought overall, though, getting Hellams back was big. Uh, and then I thought McKinstry, you know, Thomas just talked about that. He had a pick. Marcus Banks had a pick, and that's pretty big because both starting corners did not play. So
1: I thought the defense looked pretty good. Well, you know, Drew, I've, I've said this. Uh, this will now be probably four shows in a row. Um, you know, going back to December in the college football playoffs, the, the thing that. You know, kind of made me giggle uh, the most was, um, albeit, and and, you know, this tends to happen. It happened uh, last year with Christian Barmore, and it's happening now um, with with one of Louisiana's finest and Fidarian Mathis. I mean, Fidarian Mathis is a monster. Yeah, he he has gotten to monster status. He blows plays up. Um, He he makes things happen, and, you know, when you've got an interior pass rusher, um, you know, that that can be disruptive versus the run and be disruptive versus the pass, especially when you've got, you know, let's wait and see what happens versus Florida, but I'm talking about what we're working with, you know, going into this game versus Mercer, and you've got, you know, Drew Sanders on one side, Will Anderson on the other, and, I don't think people really know what they're looking at and respect what exactly Will Anderson is disrupting. Um, it, you know, it's not just him lining up on the edge, uh, you know, checking an offensive tackle and running around him. That, that dude gets leverage. Um, he blows up lead plays going up through the fourth hole or the five hole. Um, the guy's a disruptive monster. But when you've got somebody like that that can do that from the edge, you've got to have somebody on the interior that's doing the same thing to the two offensive guards in the centers. And Alabama had that two or three years ago in Quentin Williams. They had it a little bit last year with Christian Barmore, but they damn sure have it this year. With Fidarian Mathis. The guy's going to get paid. Um, I'm not going to project right now where he's going to go in the NFL draft, but he is a dude. Yeah,
0: there's no question about that. He's played like a monster so far. Uh, it goes to show you the development in Coach Saban's program. You know, a guy like and Williams might develop in three years. Fidarian Mathis sometimes takes five, but bottom line is, it's, I'm watching this on the NFL right now. Tua tungo was a progeny. Uh, he, you know, won a national championship as a freshman, you know, coming off the bench. Then he put together, you know, one and three quarter, I guess you could say, or one and two thirds great seasons at Alabama and rewrote the record books. And then Tua, and then Mac Jones has to wait for four years, but becomes the starter, develops at a slower pace. And right now Mac Jones has had an outstanding first game as a rookie quarterback in the national football league. And if, anybody is surprised by it. They shouldn't be back. You know, is probably the most cerebral of of the three quarterbacks. And by the way, kudos to Jalen Hurts for the way he played today, along with Devontae Smith. They got a big win over the worst team in football, the Atlanta Falcons, who I I predict will be on the clock for the first draft choice because they are horrifically bad. Uh, And, you know, but again, uh, I just I give credit to all three of the Bama guys today at quarterback for playing as well as they played and and that just goes back; it, it piggybacks off of Darian Mathis. But Darian Mathis, two years ago, was probably not even on the NFL scouts' radar. William, and the way in the way he's played so far, the way you talked about him, uh, as you just said, he's going to get paid. So I could see him being a first or a second round draft choice, and and absolutely having an outstanding career. So we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, I I think it's a it's a great story for Faderian, who was a four star recruit. Kind of like Kim Williams, both of them weren't five-stars. So we'll see what happens, no doubt about it. But certainly, Federian Mathis has been a beast so far. And now Alabama looks to Florida. Florida has won two games over subpar opponents. We all understand that. Uh, the Gators have, uh, you know, they played, I believe, Florida uh, Atlantic University. And then, uh, or, or was it Florida International? I'm trying to remember. but And then they played uh, South Florida yesterday. It was FAU. Reason. FAU. It was. I thought it was Thomas. Thank you. Yes, sir. It was, F, it was FAU and far and uh, and USF and USF may be one of the worst teams in Division One. So they've they've got a two a true two quarterback system going on. So Alabama's definitely going to have to stop the, the the running of the QB and the mobility. But I'm still not sure they're great passers. Uh, they've made some big plays, but I don't think they've faced a secondary near like Alabama's and. And what I'm doing here is I'm kind of setting you up, Thomas, to talk about Florida. I've, I haven't seen much except for the highlights, but I know what they, you know, they've, uh, they've, they've run the football a lot more this year. It seems to be that this is a Dan Mullen team that, you know, stylistically
2: is a lot like his teams at Mississippi state. I would agree with that, that uh, characterization of this Florida team through two games and Let's go ahead and throw some caveats out there. USF is, is truly an awful, awful football team. FAU is one of those teams that brought back a ton of super seniors and is probably better than you would think for a G5 team. UF beat the snot out of that team. But the thing you look at when you start trying to break down how Alabama and Florida match up, is that we don't really have a good idea of how Dan Mullen wants to attack this Alabama team. Emory Jones has consistently been a mediocre to bad passer, and that's continued to be borne out through the first two games of the year. On this season, he's got a truly miserable 4.2 yards per attempt average. I mean, that that is... that, that, that is that is awful. Just That is truly bad. And he's always been a dual threat guy, but then you have Anthony Richardson who is an even worse passer but is electric with the ball. What a lot of Alabama fans are going to hear is this is like Tim Tebow and Chris Leak. Well, no, it's not. Anthony Richardson does not have Tim Tebow's bulldozing abilities, at least not that I've seen. And Emory Jones only is as good as Chris Leake as a passer in his dreams. So I think that's a really bad comparison. When I look at this Florida team, I I, I think in terms of transitioning from competing against Mercer to competing against Florida, the Alabama defense can do a lot of the same stuff. Now, I don't think they're going to want to do the mush, mush rush, build a wall, nonsense. I don't agree with that for this Alabama team, which is a lot of what they did against the Mercer Bears. But Florida wants to attack you with the run. They're mediocre as a passing offense. So I would expect a lot of press man, particularly should Jalen Armour Davis and Josh Joe be able to go and a lot of heavy boxes. And you have to feel good as an Alabama fan because of the discipline and leverage that the Alabama defense showed against Mercer. Are they going to be able to do that well against Florida? I think that's a little bit of a stretch, and it remains to be seen. But the fact that they can do it is important. Now, in terms of how Florida is going to defend Alabama, Alabama is a completely different beast than what Florida has seen. In terms of opposing offenses and the the short problem with that is i, I don't know if the good side of the alabama the good side if the good game if the alabama the right side of the alabama offensive line has a good game alabama can blow florida away because the left side of the alabama offensive line has been solid to spectacular throughout the majority of the year and There's something to be said for that. If the right side can even play at 75 or 80% of that, Alabama can blow Florida away. But that remains to be seen. The problem is you're looking at this Florida team as, oh, my gosh, it's the same Florida from last year. And I'll say this, Drew. Everybody gave Oklahoma a ton of credit for beating Florida last year. But that was a Florida without Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney and Trayvon Grimes. Well, this is the same Florida team minus a truly solid pocket passer in Kyle Trask that we saw last year. You look at the number one wide receiver has, yardage-wise is Jamarcus Weston. He has three catches for 44 yards, but his long is 36. Uh, Rick Wells and Damian Pierce, just looking at pure numbers right now, they both have five catches each, but – they're that's for under 40. So it's not like this team is going to be able to stretch the field vertically. And if Alabama's defense is able to make you one dimensional, as we saw against Mercer, Alabama's defense is going to feast on you. So when I look at this Florida team, Dan Mullen is going to be able to scheme up some stuff for this Florida team to have some success. Just some success emphasis there, but I don't think it's going to be close to enough success. And when we get to when we get to next Sunday when we're recording Bam's radio, as of as of when we recorded this show, I think Florida's a fifteen point underdog. Yes, I think Alabama's going to cover that. I think this is a three to three and a half score three three to three and a half touchdowns, so twenty one to twenty five point game every day of the week. Florida just doesn't have the talent. And one of the reasons – the other reason I'll say that is, Drew, Dan Mullen has not done a great job in terms of refilling through recruiting. That's always kind of been his blind spot. He's much more a developmental coach, and he deserves a ton of credit for developing those Mississippi State teams into uh, college football playoff number one for a couple of weeks or maybe one week before they lost to Alabama. But he hasn't – that hasn't come together yet for this Florida team. I think this Florida team is a lot like Alabama. They'll look a lot different and probably a lot better by November, but right now they got a lot of stuff to figure out and against a defense that has shown itself to be elite against a bunch of different, you know, a bunch of different looks and a bunch of different ways that offenses want to attack has shown itself to be solid throughout. Excuse me. This is just a bad matchup. And if you can't just let Alabama's offense lean on you and body blow, body blow, body blow, if you can't stop that by balancing out and keeping that offense off the field, you're in deep, deep trouble. And that's what I think is coming for this Florida Gators team, Drew. Yeah, I
0: mean, Florida's run the ball well. They're averaging, you know, eight and a half yards per carry as a team. Richardson, uh, the backup QB, has got 275, a couple of touchdowns, and then Jones. Uh, has a has a long of 33 and has rushed for 155 on 23 carries himself malik davis and damian pierce have gotten most of the time at running back and done a nice job really the passing game has been limited but uh, a guy alabama recruited heavily jacob copeland has got six for 190 and two touches so he's a guy they've got to keep from making uh big plays so uh, but I think Alabama's second day will pay him closer attention, no doubt about it. And I expect Alabama, in a way, I think this flat performance was almost good. Nick Saban's talking about having a day of reckoning. Hopefully this team is going to respond and play much better football. They had too many penalties uh, yesterday. I believe they ended up with eight or nine penalties against, uh, you know, uh, Mercer, so they've got to cut those out. And once again, protect the football, not turn it over. And if they don't, and if they can protect Bryce Young, uh, I think I'm like you, Thomas. I've got them winning 38-17. I just think so, they're, they're a much better team.
2: Go ahead. Let me make a culpa. Um, th- I the database I was using for statistics didn't didn't update properly. You're right on Jacob Copeland. I sincerely apologize to our listeners. Yeah, I I'm, I gave, I'm,
0: I'm just. I was taking a look yeah. at their stats. I yeah. To uh, well, yeah. I,
2: I I build my own stuff and. You set a number that wasn't in my database, and then I found something that I broke. So I can fix it later. I've got a secondary database. But, yeah, overall, the big problem is that, you know, Emory Jones is still not uh, – he's a barely competent passer. Anthony Richardson's a big play guy, whether you, whether you however you want to put it. But getting big plays against FAU and USF is – not at all the same as getting big plays against this Alabama defense, which short of a 64 yard bomb against Mercer, a long bomb, another bomb against Mercer and a bomb against Miami has been pretty solid. Two bombs really against Miami has been solid to spectacular through two games. I don't think it's fair to assume that Florida is going to be able to move the ball or score via explosive plays. And if that's, the Florida game plan, it's going to be a long day, Drew. And, again, I apologize to our listeners. My database broke. That's my bad.
0: No worries. I mean, uh, in, it looks like right now the Miami Dolphins are trying to run the clock out. Uh, unfortunately uh, for Damian Harris, who had a, a really a very nice game. His first game was the starting running back for uh, the New England Patriots. They were inside the 20th Miami, and he had a bad fumble. Uh, he's rushed the ball 23 times for 100 yards but he had that bad fumble. Mac Jones 29 of 39, 281, a touchdown, no interceptions. He played exceptionally well also, but the Dolphins ground out two first downs via the run and now New England had basically used all their timeouts and so the Dolphins are in victory formation trying to steal a 17 to 16 win in Foxborough against the New England Patriots, it's to be huge. Tua Tungo-Vailoa, a pretty decent game, 16-27, 2 had a couple drop, did throw a horrific interception that nearly cost his team the game because it gave New England that ball to drive down into the offense territory. But uh, Damien Harris returned the favor. So, but it looks like in the Battle of the Bama quarterbacks that Tua Tungo-Vailoa is going to get a win in Foxborough. So he is 1-0. But – you can say this, all three of these quarterbacks played well today. It was like a recruiting infomercial for Alabama because you had two quarterbacks, a prodigy and two, uh, who was uh, an amazing talent who became the fifth overall pick despite suffering a horrific injury. You had a guy like Mac Jones who was developed as a player through four years in the program. And then Jalen Hurts who came in and took over as a freshman starter with the first under Nick Saban ever. And had two good years at Alabama before transferring to OU, following a year as a backup. And then he had a great game today as his first as the starting quarterback for uh, you know the Philadelphia Eagles against the Falcons, as uh, he he rushed for sixty-two and I think he threw for two seventy. Uh, and I'll just say this: we we haven't talked a lot of recruiting lately, but that was an amazing, amazing uh, uh, just day for Alabama. Jerry Judy, Judy did get hurt in the game today. But it looks like just a high ankle sprain. But these quarterbacks doing what they're doing is only going to help Alabama. Bryce Young developing like he is. Uh, I just think overall, uh, with the Ty Simpson committed, and you're in the mix for guys like Arch Manning next year. Uh, the The future at the quarterback position looks very bright for the University of Alabama, no doubt about that. And it is final now. The Miami Dolphins win seventeen to sixteen. Uh, in uh, Foxborough, so a road win for the Miami Dolphins. And so, Thomas, I agree with you, though. I think 38-17 to uh, for Alabama is my pick. I think they're much better on both lines of scrimmage. Plus, Florida had a big injury at right tackle uh, yesterday, so it was a knee. We'll see if they have to start a backup. But if you're having to start a backup now, we know Will Anderson – has been was hurt yesterday, and now I can go on my rant about that. First of all, the information that I'm getting is is that, he again, it's very likely that he's going to play, barring a setback. Um, you know, he was injured yesterday, and I'm going to say this, Thomas, and I'll let you have your thought on it. That was a dirty play. I, I had morons on Twitter who think because they played high school football and probably sat their ass on the bench – and, it, and if you didn't play high school football, so you don't have a, you, you don't have the, you're not supposed to be able to comment. All I can tell you is a dumbass like that, is is the reason that you know that uh, these rules are still in place and they shouldn't be. And I and I don't give a damn, like I said in the tweet, if it is a, a supposed legal block cut blocking should be outlawed. They 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 call targeting and they want to protect protect the guy's head but the knees should be protected as well. And, and I will say this, you can cut block without hitting somebody directly in their knee. This guy yesterday, Fred Davis, the running back, went directly at Will Anderson's knee. I don't give a crap what anybody tells me. It was a dirty play. He, he intentionally tried to injure him, and that son of a bitch should have been thrown out of the game and I'm going, to, I'm going to use that term, and I hope we don't edit it out because that's what he is. <laughs> well, he should have been tossed immediately. His ass should have been out, and it was a dirty play because you can see – you can tell intent with this stuff. I mean, and, and like earlier today in the, in, the, in, the, in the New England game, Mac Jones was sacked, and they called a personal foul, and I, I disagreed with it because sometimes when you're blocked, you end up getting blocked into somebody and having to go low. That's not a dirty play. What Fred Davis did was dirty, and he should have been – his ass should have been out of the game immediately. And, you know, luckily for Alabama, that's not going to cost Will Anderson the season. They smartly took him out of the game. I don't – again, I don't think it's a serious – it's a hyper extension. And with Jeff Allen and the medical staff, I think Alabama can get him back where he will not, you know, miss any time and where he should be in the lineup against Florida. Now, he might be on a pitch count, but I think he'll be back because – I mean, as much depth as Alabama has on that outside linebacker core, to lose both him and Chris Allen, that would have been a very tough blow to take. But now you're going to see more of Chris Braswell, as you did yesterday. You're going to continue to see Dallas Turner. Uh, they've got to continue to learn and get better. I thought Drew Sanders was solid. And then the inside linebackers, Henry Toa Toa and Christian Harris. I thought Christian Harris and Byron Young were the MVPs defensively. Young set the tone early with his play on the DL, but Harris was very consistent the entire game, played very well. I thought Toe-Toa played very well coming back from the injury of his, own, of his elbow. But I just really thought that the, uh, the, that the play that injured Will Anderson was a dirty play and it, that that kind of block has been outlawed in the NFL. It needs to be outlawed in college football. And I know a lot of people want it because I know back in the day, the San Francisco 49ers used to do a lot of that. And a lot of people could not stand it. And I know players and coaches today don't like it either. They don't like cut blocking. I understand it's part of option football, but there are other ways to block. And I just think overall, it's not, shouldn't be a part of the game. And, you know, and I will say once again, to reiterate, you can cut block without going directly at somebody's kneecap. Okay. And I just thought Thomas overall, it was a dirty play uh, by the young man from Mercer.
2: So, when I, get into the, when, when I get asked the question, and I, I was afraid that something like this was going to happen because I knew this was, a, frankly, a cut block-based offense, Drew. Most option offenses are for fans that aren't aware. I think I have a, different, I, I have a slightly different take, but it's only different in this sense. As the, as the rules are constituted, it was a legal block. But, and here's the key. I don't think – I think that rule needs to be changed. Excuse me. As you say, that play was questionable. When I saw it on replay, I was very frustrated. Because let's be realistic. I think Alabama can survive the loss of Chris Allen. I think they can. Just because of the presence of Drew Sanders. But Will Anderson, if he was coming out this year – It'd be Will Anderson versus Kayvon Thibodeau for first, call it rush linebacker, rush defensive end off the board. Because you know, a 4 3 team would just put Will Anderson at, uh, at defensive end and say he's a defensive end, most likely. He's that good. So you take a top five pick off of any college roster, and there's going to be a step back. There just is. You, you, even for Alabama, top five picks don't grow on trees. And that's really the problem here. And I agree with you in that when, when, I, when I have, you know, people say, well, it's, it's not this because of X, Y, Z. And I'm like, well, we're sitting here and we're putting subjective rules in the game about targeting. And, I, I mean, I saw some, some stuff that probably should have been targeting. You can see it on every, in every play. Turn on the tape. Every game, turn on the tape. You'll see one or two plays that you're like, oof, that, that might need to get another look. And you go from there. So if we're going to do that, in the name of player safety, where we're going to instruct the officials to err on the side of player safety and then review it, because that is a point of emphasis for college referees what's the difference between somebody getting their head knocked off and somebody taking a helmet to the knee and potentially losing their season? And really when we're talking about an ACL injury for a player that's on the line, whether they're a rush linebacker, a defensive end, a defensive tackle, or anybody along the offensive line, that's one of the positions where you really need a year, even now, to be truly effective. So I'm not willing to go so far as to say it's a dirty play or it was a dirty play. I do think that if we're going to call targeting, and when I say we, I mean the college football universe, if we're going if and targeting is going to be a point of emphasis, then we need to figure out a rule change, and it might be just ban cut blocking. Because It is absolutely crazy to me that we talk about Mercer before the uh, uh, last Sunday on our show, and what did we say? Something on the order of the best thing that could happen in this game is no key season loss injuries and Nick Saban's pissed off because he's got stuff to fix. That was was the criterion. Now, I have no problem with Nick Saban pissed off because he's got stuff to fix. I have a serious problem with some of the discussion about a team that Alabama is playing hinging on the notion that there are cut blocks. And with a cut block, the problem is, let's say you miss. If you miss a block on someone's upper body, you just fall over and it's a funny highlight. If you miss a block on a cut, there's a chance that you do what happened to Will Anderson. and. I don't think I'm overstating this when I say this, Drew. Alabama without Will Anderson will almost certainly not win the national championship this year. That kind of injury, if it were to happen to the end of the seat, like to be if it were season ending, would to me almost completely ruin Alabama's chances to win a national title. Now, could they circle the wagons and get there? Absolutely. But it becomes a hell of a lot harder without Anderson. And it's crazy to me. That I even have to worry or even think about as I break teams down. Oh well, because of the way they play the game, air quotes. Alabama might lose one of their top players because make no make no mistake about it. Excuse me, Drew. Will Anderson, in terms of overall talent, in terms of where he is, he is at worst a top five player on Alabama's roster. Frankly. I think he's top 2 and the only person that's even close is Evan Neal. But let's just give you know let's give uh, a little bit of leeway here and say top 5. So it really drives me crazy. I would absolutely love it if a rule was put in place because the rule as to the rule was correct when it was given, but it's a bad rule and it needs to be really really looked at because Alabama losing starts when it matters against you know rando football team nah not not for me man not for me Alabama would have been better served sitting at home yesterday given that injury Drew
0: yeah and I mean I'll just I'll go as far as to say Will is the best player on the team okay I I don't care if he's just a sophomore he is so he's basically irreplaceable luckily you know he's not seriously injured Uh, But again, I do think they need to outlaw cut blocking. I don't think it belongs in the game. And look, they they protect quarterbacks knees in the NFL and they protect everybody's heads in college in the NFL. They need to protect the knees. I mean, because you can tackle without going, uh, you know, at the knee and you can block without going at the knee. Uh, You need to protect these players. I'm sorry. I, I just I truly believe that football has changed. And uh, you need to continue to change with it. Uh, and I know it's hard to tackle now, and that's why, and that's part of the reason why tackling isn't very good. And I thought it was a good move to to uh, to get rid of the horse collar or, or uh, start calling the horse collars uh, because you don't want to hurt people and uh, injure them by grabbing them from behind, and that could cause a serious injury. So, uh, but I do think that they, they need to continue to make the game safer. And I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, what happened to Will Anderson was a dirty play. I remember when it happened to Ray Hudson. I remember when it happened to Tim Castile. They all recovered, but it's just really a sad situation. And you don't want to have a guy's future affected like a Will Anderson who has the talent to potentially be the first pick in the draft. So luckily Alabama's going to be okay. And I think he'll come back with a vengeance. I do think Alabama's edge guys are better than Florida's, even though Florida has a good pass rush. If Alabama can block Florida up front, I think they will they will win the game and win it handily. I think Bryce is gonna play really well. Uh, but if you had to ask me, he had three touchdowns yesterday, Jace McClellan. I would watch for McClellan to have a big game in this game. And I would also watch for the uh John John Mechie and Jamison Williams to bounce back. Quite frankly, I thought Jameson Williams played like uh, you know, uh, like a just not very well yesterday. I thought it was putrid in some respects. He's got to bring more to the table. In some ways, I think we saw why he was on the bench at Ohio State because he had a big drop, then a stupid penalty. And so he needs to refocus himself because he's very talented. He could have a big game against this Gator secondary. But I think – I predict Alabama's going to throw for 300-plus yards. I think they're going to protect Bryce better. I think he's going to be able to get uh, JoJo Earl continually involved. And JoJo led the team with seven catches for 85 yards yesterday. He will be able to make some plays. and also as a punt returner, I agree with William wholeheartedly. He's just more explosive. You need the ball in his hands. So if Alabama wins the turnover battle and is not sloppy, can keep it to five penalties or less and protect Bryce, which I expect. I think they're going to win this game and win it uh, you know, and cover uh, the 15 points that the spread is right now. And I just I really like Alabama in this matchup. I think they match up well with Florida. I think Florida's a little green in some respects. I know they reloaded with Tyrone Truesdale, uh, you know, and Duquan De- Newkirk and those guys along the defensive line in the portal. But I still think the Alabama's D-line is superior, and I think Alabama will be able to block Florida up front. And I think Florida will come out hard and fast being at home. But I think it will be a lot like 2011. If you weather the shitstorm, as Nick Saban always says, then I think Alabama will settle in and be able to wear Florida down. And the talent uh, the, uh, uh, advantage for the Tide is going to uh, play itself out. And I think Alabama Thomas is going to win impressively.
2: Honestly, Drew, I would agree. I, I think the, the, C, the, the main problem for the Florida Gators is this is a completely different animal than what they've seen the first two weeks. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not that Florida won't have success. I think that's, that's silly to say otherwise. But I think Alabama is going to be able to do what they do, and they'll win the game pretty comfortably. Yeah. That's not a bad spot to be in. More than anything, when you look at this first game, I think the best way to put this is what does, what does the cataclysmic version look like where essentially Alabama can do nothing right they do something like the Ole Miss game a few years back with five turnovers you know the game where Jake Coker became the unquestioned starter that year and they ended up losing that that Ole Miss team but the thing about that game is it really took five turnovers and I would still to the my dying day say if that game was five quarters long Alabama wins it. All
0: you they- got to do is hand the ball to Derek Henry, and you still win it. It was one of Lane Kiffin's worst ball games as offensive coordinator. At Alabama. Now he learned from it. Yes. And the rest of the time, you saw Alabama approach ball games. They bludgeoned people and won the and, and, and won the national title and never lost again. Sure. But in that sure. game, yeah, the quarterback decision was terrible. Who they started, and then you know, even though Jake Coker was under the weather. But especially down the stretch, you've got Derrick Henry, a beast, a Heisman Trophy winner with 129 yards rushing. Ole Miss wants none of him, and you're trying to throw the football late. Just really stupid coaching by Lane Kiffin. But to his credit, he, you know, he 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 smoothed things out with Derrick Henry, avoided being fired in the middle of the season, and basically uh, got smart from that point forward and then Alabama won the game. Unfortunately, you know, it took a loss to wake that team up. Hopefully that's not going to be the case with this one, Thomas.
2: And that's, that, that's where I was that's, – that's not specifically where I was going. But where I was going is that's the kind of thing that it took for a team with a decided talent, a talent, talent advantage to lose. A bunch of stuff going wrong. I would be willing to bet if you simulated that game a million times – that kind of five-turnover five performance, or I think it's plus five-turnover performance, that doesn't happen but one in every 500,000. And the fact it was still a game is credit to Alabama. And how does that translate to this Florida game? It translates to I think the only way Florida has a chance is if Alabama consistently screws up to that kind of Ole Miss level and Florida gets a few lucky bounces – to beat this Crimson Tide team. I, I, I really like Dan Mullen as a coach. I frankly think he's the second best coach in the SEC, and I've stood by that since this time last year. But this is not a good matchup during a weird part of the year, and the talent just hasn't come to fruition for Florida yet. And if you're an Alabama fan, you just have to feel confident. The only way that we're going to be talking about an Alabama upset uh, this next Sunday, Drew, is if a weird set of voodoo happens, you know, for, for for whatever reason, Bryce Young throws three picks and no running back can keep a hold of the ball, but that's not that's not a formula that you can build a prediction idea off of because essentially what you have to say is, well, stuff that only happens one half of one percent of the time is going to happen. Trust me when I say that's bad math, and that's bad form. So I think Alabama's going to cruise. Give me give me 41-20, maybe 44-20. I think it's going to be a game like that. It's not going to be much in doubt past the second quarter. And the, 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 the storyline's going to be coming out of this Alabama versus Florida game. It's going to be something like, who can challenge Alabama, given Texas A&M struggles this week? We'll see about uh, Haynes Kings. I think that's the young man's name, his status moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, when does Ole Miss play a defense with a pulse? Because I'm not high on the whole Louisville nonsense. I think that game was – Ole Miss deserves credit for winning it. I respect the hell out of them for going and winning it. But let's not think that Louisville and Alabama have much in common, aside from they have a red in their uniform. Yeah, we'll definitely see, Thomas. And I wanted
0: to comment quickly on basketball. Uh, Namari Burnett, transfer from Texas Tech, going to miss the season with a torn ACL. I know people are concerned, uh, you know, because Alabama's had a lot of injuries with Chiku, uh, missing the season with a a torn Achilles last year. Uh, And then we've had two knee injuries, uh, you know, uh, uh, for, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) for Alabama uh, from – uh, the uh, from uh, the young man from New York, who, uh, who James Rojas, who has now uh, torn both of his ACLs and his knees. I, there's there are people starting to mention Scott Cochran type stuff. I'm not ready to go there. I think it's been very unfortunate uh, that they've had the number of injuries that they've had. Uh, I do think some of it's bad luck because I think one of James Rojas's is on a jet ski, so that's not really a strength coach's fault. Uh, no doubt about it, but certainly it's going to hurt Alabama's depth. Uh, you know, and uh, in, uh, in, with who, uh, with with what they were going to do, because and I think from what I had heard, uh, Burnett had been shooting the ball very well from about a forty percent clip from three. It was going to definitely be a a uh, defensive upgrade in many ways uh, with his ability to pressure the basketball. Uh, and so, I you know, I, it's very uh, unfortunate uh, that that, you know, he got injured. But I do think this is an Alabama team that has a lot of depth uh, on the team. It's going to give a guy like Juson Holt a chance as a freshman to play. He's a a guy that can really shoot the basketball. But the guy it's really going to give a shot to is the sophomore Darius Miles. Uh, Darius is a guy that has a lot of length and talent. Coach Oates just recently told uh, a group of folks over at the Huntsville, uh, you know, quarterback club that his vertical leap is just right below J.D. Davison. Who is off the charts, and so I and I think that he'll that uh, it's certainly that Neumar will have a, a great recovery just like Jawan Gary did. Jawan missed the season a couple of years ago. Nado's is uh, first with an ACL of his own, and then had to bounce back and has looked good. And this this uh, this magnifies getting Jaden Shackleford back even more. He'll uh, be a big part of this team going forward. And another thing being said by Nado's is that. Uh, Keon Ellis the, uh, the rising senior uh, junior college transfer might be the best player on the team so it's going to give more playing time to guys like J.D. Davidson and Keon Ellis they'll probably get even more minutes now you don't need any more injuries that's for sure but if Darius Miles can take advantage of this and develop uh, I think that Alabama can still have a really good basketball team I would still say they're a top 20 team we'll see how they develop Going forward, And then, of course, you've still got Javon Quinterly, who played his best basketball down the stretch last year and is an outstanding talent in his own right. So there's luckily this is a guard heavy group. This is still a team that's very talented. They've got the Charles Bediaco, too, uh, who is a true freshman who's going to give them more size and rim protection inside. And, of course, Noah Gurley, the graduate transfer from Furman as a kind of a, a stretch for I think he's going to be an even better Alex Reese as far as being more skilled. So, uh, you know, I think it's overall, it's, it was, it's going to still be an outstanding team thoughts and prayers out to Burnett for suffering the injury. But I think, you know, they're going to sign four or five guys uh, and sign a good recruiting class. He'll almost be like having being a part of that because, you know, already guys like Javon Quinterly uh, and, and, and J.D. Davidson are probably going to be turning pro. So, Having a guy like Burnett back next year is going to be big Him coming back from his injury, but just wanted to kind of give my thoughts on that. I still think this is a basketball team at Alabama that has a chance to be more talented than last year's, but are they going to have that special chemistry? And then it looks like James Rojas, his rehab is going well. He could rejoin the team on the floor in January. So that would be big to have him back and you would have a, a, a squad that is nearly full strength. And then, I'm anxious to see the development of Keon Ambrose Hilton as well, who's a sophomore, who has some talent. How many more minutes, though, will he get this year? And, of course, my guy, Juwan Gary. Everybody knows how much I love him and what a junkyard dog he is. But this Alabama basketball team took a blow with a second knee injury with this group. But hopefully, uh, again, they'll get James Rojas back in January. And they still have recruited well enough with the depth situation to still be have a, a very good basketball team and we'll see how healthy Alex Chiku is to start the year because heard that he, you know, he's facing maybe a suspension for playing in an unauthorized tournament. Then he was working out with a trainer in Los Angeles, may have hurt his other leg. I don't think it's a severe injury, but I think it frustrated the coaches, but they're going to need Chiku uh, to develop some this year as well because you want to have as much depth as possible. I don't expect Chiku to start, but he's a talented player, who can, you know, shoot the basketball for a big, protect the rim, needs to mature some emotionally, uh, but he's someone else that could help them. So still a lot of depth on this Alabama basketball team. And, you know, just wanted to uh, give everybody my thoughts in that update on Damari Burnett. I still think when you look at it and you have building blocks like Javon Quinterly, Jaden Shackelford, Jawan Gary, freshmen like J.D. Davidson, who's one of the top in the country, Noah Gurley and Charles Bediaco, another freshman that has early entry potential. The the talent is going to be tremendous on this team. But can they buy – will they buy in? Will there be the great chemistry? And how quickly will they improve in Nate Oates' system? That's what's going to be really, really interesting. But still, a lot of excitement around Alabama basketball. But, again, just wanted to wrap up the show now. Want to thank William Redfish Barger, who was with us for the majority of that. Uh, he had a he had a, a business dinner to attend, so we understand that. Want to thank Thomas Watts for his always outstanding knowledge and yeah, you know, analytical approach to this matchup with Florida. We both like the Gators uh to basically be exposed this week. We think Alabama's gonna cover that 15-point spread. Thomas said around 41 to 20, 40 to 20 around that range. I said 38-17. We both think the tide is going to roll and stay unbeaten at 3 0. And we're going to break it down for you next week for BAM's radio, for William, on BAM's radio, pardon me, for William Redfish Barger, for uh, Thomas the Wizard Watts. I'm Drew DeArmond. We continue to appreciate everyone's support of BAM's and listening and the feedback we're getting. But good night, everybody, and roll tide.